0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional, GRC Institute, and the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And once again, we have Naomi Burley and Carol Ferguson. And they're laughing at me because I'm tripping over my words. I've forgotten who I am. Um, So, um, Kwame (laughs) Slusher. So we today are looking at some heightened regulatory risk, apparently, um, specifically looking at ASIC action. Um, that ASIC has been taken, I think you said, in the credit space and around credit licensing. So, Carol, what is what is the concern here?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's really important that everybody takes it, members take a, um, a moment during their extremely busy lives to review what ASIC is actually doing from a regulatory perspective, and I know we're all frantic, and I know that you've, you know, stuff is happening, and you think, oh, well, it's, you know, that that may not necessarily apply to me, but a lot of it's about the themes, and I think that today um, I'd like to go through some thematic work that ASIC is doing and the implications that it can have for your business in terms of the reviews that you might want to think about um, and how it is that you're going to progress in the future, because I think if ASIC's working on some of these rats and mice cases, then it's it's a matter of time before it's going to get up to the big boys. Um, I'm putting aside CBA that ASIC has a special category for, and I apologise to my CBA um, friends and colleagues because, you know, it's extraordinary. But anyway, we'll, we'll move to um, a consideration of some of the credit cases that ASIC's been looking at. Um, and they're not big, big players. And I think that let, let's start from that premise. They're after some. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're large or small. ASIC seems to have, you know, a view that anyone is fair game, and and that's great, and at the same time concerning. Um, so their focus on the credit in the credit space, at, and it's in the COVID times as much as anything else, has been about dealing with customers with financial difficulties or customers who have, you know, had problems in with um, making claims through AFCAR, et cetera. So one of the cases has been the case of Membo Finance and the Richmond Group Financial Services, who operate a mob called Clear Loans. Um, their reps failed to assist debtors and guarantors when they were in financial difficulties. Um, they, they had hardship variation requests and that the... The licensee didn't deal with them in in ASIC's view effectively, honestly or fairly. Um, This is a very major issue in the COVID times and I think it's an important issue that if you have products which have a credit component, that you review the way that your team who deal with these from a customer service perspective are actually dealing with them in an efficient, honest and fair way so that the customer interests are actually preferred to those of of your individual firms, so ASIC is seeking civil penalties um, in this case, and declarations and injunctions, and and it's listed um, was listed for the twelfth of the fourth. I've yet to see the update on, it and I apologise, but it's very important that, um, and I think it's actually going to go for further mention at that stage. But it's very very important that you take steps to ensure that you're going to be to be you know dealing with these people the loans in this case were were in the three to fifteen thousand dollar three thousand to fifteen thousand dollar range so they're not large loans um their loans were only accessed online but the firm had no offices or branches in australia and i think mm-hmm. that that was an additional risk that ASIC was looking at um to to consider But they had written policies and on debt collection, financial hardship, training manuals, et cetera, et cetera. So they had all the bits and pieces in place, but it was all forgotten in the actuality of dealing with these issues. So, but there were only 39 issues instances where they fail to provide appropriate assistance. Now, 39 <laughs> is not a lot. Now, if you have a very large organisation and you are dealing with, you know, innumerable numbers of customers, you need to be aware that ASIC doesn't view size of the of the um, impact as being a major issue anymore. Um, It used to be that ASIC would say, well, if it doesn't affect more than, you know, if it only affects a 1,000 customers and you have a million customers, then that's okay. But it doesn't look as if that's applicable anymore. So even a small number is going to be relevant.
2: Yeah. And I would have thought post-Royal Commission that that's, you know, that may be the shift that we'll see generally because if anything was highlighted in in the Royal Commission, they were they weren't worried about volume. They were worried about every single individual story, and I think that's where they shifted the focus for all the regulators, in my opinion. Yeah, and and I certainly think that when people are dealing with
1: their breach reporting um, uh, policies, they need to really go back and have a look at it because certainly the old way of just saying, well, you know, it's small, it's a vestigial problem, there's only a few of them, it's only one advisor, it's only one this, it's only one that, is not going to apply in the future. Mm. And ASIC is certainly wanting people to tighten up, literally from the ground up. Mm. And, and the if thing
2: you
1: have I... one, one client affected in ASIC's view, that's important.
2: Yes. The thing I'd be concerned about too from a compliance perspective is if you aren't notifying those single incidences, that when ASIC come in, you know, if, if say, the ten person makes a complaint or they find out about it somehow and they come in they find there's been 10, then to all intents and purposes ASIC can turn around and say, well, it's a systemic problem then, isn't it? And you get yes. hit with a bigger stick.
1: Yeah. And and the
2: sticks that they're after are very big sticks indeed. I mean, if they are after pecuniary
1: pe- penalties, these are per contravention. And so it's really important that people realise that it can it can accrue very quickly. you mm, racking up quite a bill. <laughs> well, I mean, the track example for, is, you know, is one which must be applied here because... In AUSTRAC, in sorry, at AUSTRAC, they use it on a contravention basis rather than on a holistic problem. And, and certainly ASIC's saying, well, you know, there's money for jam here. Mm. So, so let's look at how we can do it on a, on a per contravention basis. The next one I, I'd like to sort of draw your attention to is the Urban Commercial Group, who also had a credit licence, But what they failed to do, which was really interesting, was to comply with AFCA's rules and, and in fact, to indeed have their membership of AFCA appropriately undertaken. So this is saying um, ASIC will completely back up AFCA. If you are required to have an AFCA membership, you must have it. It must be in good standing all of the time But most importantly, you must comply with their rules. So, again, this is an opportunity for for members to go back, look at how AFCAR is being applied within your organisation, the rules, and to say, are there opportunities here for us to tighten the rules, do a review, et cetera? Because if ASICs looked looked at one instance, I assure you they'll be looking at others. Mm. So it's really important that that you would at least address from a, a review perspective how your organisation is dealing with AFCA and, indeed, whether it's applying the AFCA rules in the way it's treating its customers. So that means all of your letters, your PDSs, et cetera, your website, um, mm-hmm. all need to, to have the appropriate information. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one on the credit um, was... Um, Oh sorry, um this is no, this is not a credit one. This is a, a advisor, Jenna Olson Thorne, and she failed to comply um with ASIC direction. Um, and she deliberately avoided compliance with an EU. Now that's a really um dare one say gutsy call. I was to um, <laughs> any, anyone <laughs> to do to fail to comply with an EU. And of course, GRC members would not do anything as silly as that but it came down to the conflicts of interest between the customer and the plaintiff and again this issue of when you're dealing with credit matters you have to make certain that the interests of the customers are preferred because you cannot argue it otherwise because if you have a license that's one of your requirements this came home in dear one, say bright technicolor Fatal life, and this was one that was raised during the Royal Commission as well as an example of an insurance failure. Um, it was a, a breach of utmost of the insurer's utmost good faith obligations, and this comes down to the equitable principle that you can't um, argue that somebody's done something wrong if you yourself are doing something wrong. Mm. You have to have clean hands, as we all know, the lawyers, and if not, that's the obligation that you must not go. And, and ask the courts to do anything for you or a certain obligation if you yourself are not doing the right thing. So in this case, tau um, were told the consumer that they were in breach of their duty of utmost good faith to tau in relation to certain medical um, obligations. But, in fact, the court held that it was TAL that had breached the duty and, and so that they were given um, a penalty, which was quite significant. And, it was, sorry, the penalty is yet to be determined, but the court has actually held that that's the case, that TAL has now breached um, its own obligation. So Tau's out there saying to the customer, gee, you're a naughty person, you have to pay us back money. And, in fact... the person who was indeed naughty was not the customer but it was Tails. so it's it's an interesting one these ones do not come up very often and I cannot think of us of another instance where the insurer has been held to be in breach of its obligation of good faith vis-a-vis a customer who they're asserting is Mm. has breached their obligation so from that perspective it's a very interesting one the penalty is yet to be determined as I said the um, judgment was just a week or so ago, and and so if you can just keep an eye on it, members, um, we'll try and update you as well because I think this will be one where it will be interesting. Um, Do
2: you think it heralds um, a different approach because we we know it's been flagged that insurers and and offerings are going to be held to account um, very strongly. Do you think this flags a trend in um in that respect or do you think it is it might stay a one-off
1: no I don't think it's going to be one-off I think what's what's now going to happen is that um insurers are going to be held to account um, if you know all of the recent um floods and fires and mm. so forth have demonstrated that sadly there are instances where insurers are failing to do their what they should do in respect of their obligations to their clients. They're not paying, they're
2: delaying on paying claims, they're, you know, far markling. I mean, I that think. was that was a big feature of the Royal Commission. And I think yeah. like, it'd be a very yeah. brave um, insurance firm that that sort of launched into a whole denial of claim at this point yeah. in time.
1: Yeah. And and I think that the problem is is that ASIC's looking historically. Um, so they're not just. This is the the one fatal um, was in 2019, and and um, and it's now 2021, and they're still progressing. Mm. So the ASIC's not not giving up is the best mm. way of putting it. So you're going to have to have deep pockets to ensure that you can continue with the litigation, but also with a continue continued. Um, interest of the regulatory community and other entities um, in, towards your actions. I mean, nobody's going to be to be um, considered to be a good guy nowadays for failing in their their regulatory obligations to their customers. Yep. Well, that brings us to the case of Rest Super, and and I think that this is um, a case where ASIC again has has. Taken some very strong regulatory action already against Rest, and yet is pursuing still the litigious options. So um, ASIC um, was concerned that Rest Super was stopping people moving out of the fund, um, and they tried to impose various conditions on withdrawing that ASIC said would were not permitted under CIS. So ASIC said such conduct was m- misleading and deceptive, and therefore it was seeking um, additional action through the courts for penalties, etc. The conditions that um, Rest imposed including included providing a separation certificate, etc. And I can tell you that there are very many funds out there, um, industry funds, that do require a separation certificate when. When they are um, transferring members, so it's it's a very very important issue. Um, Rest is remedi- remediating, but ASIC has you know as as indicators commenced um, um, action. Um, ASIC's not doing um, the usual way of of relying on an EU licence conditions etc. This activity stopped in in May two thousand and eighteen. It affected 1,143 members. So, not again a huge cohort of members Mm. over the breach level, but not so significantly that you'd go, well, you know, we're likely to be slapped very badly in the head. But what ASIC said was that this was a matter of of FUM retention. So, they were looking at it from the perspective that between those, the affected members, they had 14.8 million in, in FUM. Which is a lot of money, and and that that helped to boost risk's bottom line. So it's it's an important case from the perspective that you know when you look at oh, and they also interestingly um, argued that the failure to move the the funds um, meant that some individuals um, had substantial um, emotional distress and, and confusion. Which is extraordinary that you've got a, a regulator arguing what is actually tortious liability issues. So when you think about what they're doing here, um, you, you've got to say to yourself, well, this is interesting. REST has remediated. REST are furious with this, as you can understand, but furious in a we understand that, you know, and we're working with the regulator, etc. But at the same time, I think that they're a little confused A, because they're an industry fund and they've been literally sacrosanct in the past, but B, because it's not that big a deal from their perspective. And and I guess that that the issue then that comes out of this is small numbers matter. And and so whilst it may not be a big deal to you, the regulator is now looking at it as a big deal. Um, If only one customer is affected, that's a big deal. So I think
2: that that's that's you know a very important um, message from the whole thing. I think so. It continue like like we were saying, it continues that theme from the Royal Commission that every single story was important. Yeah, and if someone can tell a compelling story, you need to do something about that. But yeah. I do find it interesting that even though they've done something about it, they're still getting whacked.
1: Yeah, and, and that's that's the the concern that I have that you've you've got. Um, Considerable remediation, they've got independent
2: experts in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera and that's not enough. Yeah. Or whether um, that's the other, the other piece in the puzzle, you know, the key messages we got out of the Royal Commission was that all of the actors in the play needed to lift their game. Yeah. Like, you know, that that was the take home. Um yeah. so maybe this is just ASIC going, right? Well, Haynes said we still need to do our job. So even though you've done bits and pieces, we're going to go and do our job. Well, I think that the the message is a little confusing from my perspective.
1: Is if an entity undertakes a thorough review of their compliance and risk structures, and and comes across deficient matters, um, it used to be that you could have a very sensible discussion with ASIC, um, report the breach, do the remediation, etc., because you were a good faith actor in terms of raising it with them. Mm. I I'm not sure whether that that um, particular loophole is still operative yeah and and I guess that that's the concern I've got I still think that everybody should be doing what they can to identify breaches etc because otherwise look they're going to be coming and and you know that Mm. and so it's really important that you take action to make certain that you have addressed any issues that that may be of concern yeah. But unfortunately, you cannot rely on the fact that ASIC's going to give you the get out of jail free card mm. if you come to them in good faith.
2: And I, I um, think I think the thing that will be interesting over time, you know, I, I'd like us to keep a watch on this one, especially, is to see whether there is a difference in the penalty, whether there's some consideration for the remediation, mm. um, because we wouldn't want to discourage anyone coming forward and doing what we've said all along: no, report that's right. early.
0: Yes, but also.
2: The reality is everyone makes mistakes everyone has a customer who who is in the wrong product for whatever reason you know mistakes happen and if you fix them um you know that that's what you're meant to do so it'd be really interesting to see what is the fine detail in this one that's differentiated it from all the other times other entities have made mistakes yeah and and certainly GRCI will be investigating this as
1: much as we can with the Minister and with the regulators to try to sort of get some understanding yeah. about how this will be, you know, working in operation because the last thing that we want to do is to have a good member who is working hard and trying to do the very best to, to you know, work in conjunction with the rules being unfortunately um Penalised for that honesty and integrity. Mm. Mm. So if you're running your business efficiently, honestly, and fairly, you've done your reviews. Something's gone wrong, and the corporation's access things go wrong. That's why nine one two d is in there. It acknowledges that breaches happen. Um, something goes wrong, you go to the regulator, and next minute you're being slammed. Mm. And and I think that that's the problem mm. um, with this. Of course, it, it's the length of time that some of these things. To go on for is the issue yeah. so okay so if we get
2: yeah we really need to understand what this data point actually is you know yes. it's not yes. all breaches it, it's the the quality the qualities around that breach um yeah tells differentiates that for us so that's yeah that's really valuable to understand
1: yeah okay so then the next lot of uh
2: last sort of cases and i um
1: are regarding the fee for no service it, Issue as we know that ASIC has taken ac- action against BT Asgard, um, two of the NAB Wealth Division companies, Norless nominees and MLC nominees, and a variety and and also State Super Financial um, Re Naurus. It was they've they've already um, had licence conditions and an independent expert appointed, but but um, ASIC is again still going to court. So. You know, it's it's quite a lot of of um, um, cases in the MLC nominees one, two hundred and twenty thousand instances, wow. which is which is a lot. That's going to get so expensive. I, I, I think yes, when you get consider it that the maximum civil penalty is one point seven to two point one million dollars per per um, um, contravention. It'll be interesting whether ASIC perceives or the courts perceive a contravention is one person or whether there is a, you know, a collective um, group of contraventions arising, say, from a computer problem or the action of a particular advisor. So it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out in terms of what the actual penalties are. The State Super financial um, um, case is, is, again, one of those interesting ones. And interestingly, State Super has now become aware, um, which is interesting in itself. But, you know, they I think they've seen that the potential um, negative um, impact of, of this case is so severe that that's probably one of the drivers of their changing their name. But I'm being cynical and I could be completely wrong so I apologise to anyone who you aware. You need to stop being
2: cynical it, on air. <laughs> if if that indeed
1: the reason that you've changed your name, I'm aware that things have now got, you know, have moved on. So in their case, it was 30, just on 37,000 members, um, and and there was fee for no service. It was clear, you know, they just didn't get the service that they were required in terms of of a um, portfolio review, Um, ASIC has asserted correctly that there was a defective PDS and the customer um, um, communications were um, inadequate. Um, State Super has remediated. It's paid over $100 to affected members, which is a very substantial remediation, and, of course, undertaken the, the appropriate... Um, appointments of experts, etc., to assist it in that process. But nevertheless, ASIC has taken, um, uh, sorry, court action against them, and they are after, um, <coughs> sorry, both penalties and regulatory action. Um, it's before the courts again on, in April, and so we, this is another matter that we need to to watch because I think that the reality is is that. This is another example of an industry fund and it demonstrates unequivocally that ASIC will take on anyone now. And is and the fact that you're an industry fund does not give you any protection anymore. Um, you can assume that ASIC
2: is going to be taking on everyone. Yeah. At least at, I, I you think know. everyone in Super was put on notice, weren't they? Um yeah. by Ostrak and ASIC, that um I, yeah, you've all got to act like the professional bodies because these are people this is people's retirement yeah. money.
1: and And I certainly think that a result of there's been a number of cases where where um the ATO has indicated that that certain organisations have failed to to deal appropriately with the with the superannuation release um, matters. I can um, see in the future that there will be another group of cases relating to to the failures in the superannuation Mm. release area, whether it's to impede release of super or to release it to people who actually weren't entitled. And, And I certainly can see that there will be a very large number of cases More than one,
2: um, Mm. which are going to be happening in that space. So it's kind of holding. Well, Oztrack flagged that at the AML and Financial Crimes Forum, didn't they? Absolutely, they did. Amount of fraud matters around that. Yeah, and I certainly think GRC members
1: really must go and have a look very carefully at what happened in relation to COVID early release and superannuation. Mm. Make certain that perhaps you work with your internal audit team to put that on their review um, for for the upcoming year Mm. um, to make certain that at the very least there has been some integrity in relation to the review so that if you were to be asked the question by either Oztrac or ASIC that you actually have the appropriate information for them.
2: Yeah, and and to give our members credit, this was certainly something that they flagged very, very early in um, in our discussion groups that this was a concern and, you know, what measures they could possibly put in place to ensure that they manage those risks? Yeah. So from my perspective, it's just
1: a matter of being careful and cautious at the moment. Mm. Um, please do all the reviews that we've talked about to ensure that everything within your organisation, you've actually put your, your to the extent possible, having regard to your resources, you have looked over the areas that ASIC is looking at, but but be careful and to remember that one breach can in fact mean that the whole of your organisation can be subject to review. Mm. And and that's the concern that I have. So it's really important um, that people are very careful in how they do things because bringing in an independent expert in relation to one matter can mean that if that report is a negative one, that ACID can extend the the, um, review to other matters. And
2: and it's expensive. (laughs) And it's
1: hideously expensive. I mean, over a million dollars is generally the sort of starting point for an independent expert. So you need to be very careful to make certain that you're doing the work now that you can. Spread the word with your directors and with your management teams that, you know, Um, this is a time when when being careful really does matter
0: Mm.
1: and and just because it's one person is not enough anymore yes
2: I I think that's a very important thing to include on your your board briefings Uh, any of your compliance papers going up at the moment that they might look like odd little cases for small players out there that bear no relevance to your organization but there's a very clear message buried in there
1: yeah, and certainly, who at the breach assessment group and our, most organisations have you know a couple of people review breach assessments to determine whether they go to ASIC. Speak very carefully with those those folk to ensure that they understand that the old rules in relation to quantity are uh, really have been thrown out the door at the moment, mm. and I doubt whether they're going to come in. I think the Royal Commission showed that. Not that there was a capriciousness um, in financial services licensees. It's just that they went, well, a million customers, a 1,000 people being affected, it's de minimus and we don't have to worry. Well, it's a matter now where you do worry. Yeah, and look,
2: let's be honest, it didn't spin well at the Royal Commission and it's not spinning well now.
1: No, that's right. And the trouble is, is that, you know, it could be your grandmother or or your auntie or Mm. your brother or your sister who are in that 1,000. And that's
2: the more compelling message that's
1: that's coming from the regulator. That's the problem. You know, you can't just assume, well, it's 1,000 people, they don't matter, um, because, of course, they do. And and ASIC is is of the view that remediation is not enough.
2: Mm.
1: And whereas in the past we would have all said, well, we've remediated we don't necessarily have to tell ASIC because the quantum is so small, not enough. Yeah. And certainly I think having um, robust discussions, if you have an appointed ASIC supervisory person, is a, is a very important thing. Talk to them about their, their views on breach reporting so that, you know, you can understand where they're coming from. Um, attend ASIC for us so that you can ask the hard questions um, attend GRCI fora with with regulators so you can ask the hard questions. Now is the time to do it because we re- it's a new playing field and there are dragons out there and we don't know where they are sometimes, I don't think. So mm. It's a, it's a matter of really trying to sort of find what country we're in and finding a new way through it.
0: Excellent. Well, you know, you used in a bit of imagery earlier where you talked about bringing things into the bright technicolour. So I'm going to stretch that a little bit with another more dated <laughs> reference of I hope that we adjusted the rabbit ears on the top of your television to make things more clear for you uh, in yeah. terms of that regulatory risk.
2: Good title for a podcast. Exactly.
1: Yet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't
0: adjust the, po- the, the rabbit ears. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like we might have a bit, more to go here obviously this podcast is probably a bit of a long listen for everyone at the moment but i think there might be more to investigate here and i don't know if maybe there needs to be a a part b to this um
2: i think certainly once the the case has gone that little bit further i'd really like to to pull out what are the nuances here what was the point that asics trying to make in some of these examples because i think they're carefully picked um, because there are obviously single incidences all over the place. Like we said, everyone makes mistakes. So why these ones and what's the what's the real jewel in this data that we can take a little bit further?
0: This podcast was a production of the Governance, Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.